Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Welcome back to Set for Life. Apparently you want more. <laughs> you came back for some more. There's plenty of God's word for us. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word and give us the understanding of what you have for us today in 1 Samuel 24. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Samuel 24, 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. I have been through En Gedi. And as you drive along the road, you can look up in the mountains and and up there and see a bunch of little caves everywhere. There's caves all over the place. To think that, do you think maybe God had anything to do with Saul ending up in the same cave that David and his men were hiding in? Of course he did. I think he had something to do with that. So they're hiding up in the corners of these caves, and the one they happen to be in, Saul happens to go in there. didn't happen to. It was led by God to. But why did Saul go in? I mean, it says something here. It says to attend to his needs. What do you think that means that Saul had to go attend to his needs? Well, they don't have portable toilets uh, in that day. So Saul went in basically to relieve himself, to go to the bathroom. Imagine now David and the guys are hiding in this cave and they see Saul come in and they're thinking, wow, what what an opportunity. Saul would be very vulnerable at this point. We don't really have to imagine what the men were thinking about this opportunity because it tells us next in 1 Samuel 24, verse 4. It says, Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Basically, the men said, David, (laughs) look at what's going on, man. If there was ever a time to get Saul, this is it. This is the opportunity. You won't get a better shot than this. Take him out. Finally time for Saul to pay for what he's done. But then David just cuts off a piece of his robe, and that's it? That's that's it? Can you just try to get in with these men here that wanted to see Saul go down? They wanted to see Saul die. 
and you're just going to cut off a piece of his robe? So now imagine the man trying to be quiet and remain silent as David is climbing back up to them up in the recesses of the cave, and instead of of carrying the head of the king of Israel, he's just carrying a piece of cloth. I want us to remember how these men felt back in 1 Samuel 22 and verse 2. It says, everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to David. David's men were very mad at him because it was time for Saul, this guy that had been so wicked, evil to them, it was time for him to go. And this was their shot. Saul had put these men into debt. He had murdered the priests. And when David had his chance to take them out, he spared his life. He spared his life. Why, David? Why? You had him. And the reason why David cut off a piece of Saul's robe, it would now become a testament, something that would serve as a piece of evidence that David had the perfect opportunity to take him out. But David chose to let him live. 1 Samuel 24 and 5. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing that he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. David was so careful concerning Saul, regardless of his terrible behavior. That's an important thing for us to note here. Saul was a bad guy. We know that. But regardless of that behavior, he did not touch the Lord's anointed, even still. And just the mere act of cutting off a piece of cloth from Saul's clothing was enough to really bother David a lot with a lot of conviction. This made David's men mad. David is saying, look, I'm not touching the Lord's anointed, but they're just thinking about all the bad things he did. You had the chance to take him out, and the men wanted vengeance, and but David had to restrain their anger, it says, so that they would not rise up against Saul. See, they were angry. He had to restrain them, explaining why he chose to have mercy on him, because this is the Lord's anointed. I'm not going to touch him. 1 Samuel 24 and 8. David also arose afterward, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord the King. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks you harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you, but my eye spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand. And I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you. 
but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore let the Lord be judge, and judge between you and me, and see and plead my case, and deliver me out of your hand. Uh, Saul had done, though, absolutely nothing at all for David to bow to him and call him my Lord the King. And what David did is exactly the opposite of what human nature thinks. Human nature believes that uh, respect has to be earned. Saul had done nothing at all to earn David's respect. If David had conducted himself according to his own standard, my own standard of what I think respect is, then he would have never bowed to Saul. And so instead of taking his frustration out on Saul, I don't respect you. I can do whatever I want. He didn't have that attitude like we do often today. He said, let the Lord avenge me on you. Let God deal with it. People always look for a reason why they get to blow their anger out on somebody. Well, I lost all respect for you, so that automatically means I don't have to obey you. I don't have to submit to your authority. Hey, bad guy or not, Saul has authority. It was God-given. David respected that because he knew it was God's order. He called him the Lord's anointed. When you look at somebody and say, I've lost all respect for you, so I get to take out my wrath on you, that is ungodly thinking. It's like uh, when politicians act like knuckleheads and we lose our respect for them. Does that mean we as Christians stop praying for them? Regardless of Saul's behavior, David respected God's position that he gave to Saul. He, He respected that position immediately. The Lord's anointed. You know, as soon as you look at somebody and say, I have lost all respect for you, then what happens immediately after that is disobedience. David did not want to be disobedient to the Lord's order. Big issue these days about the Lord's order. And so now he said, I'm going to turn it over to God. I'm going to let God deal with you. And that's the way David chose to deal to, to deal with it. Let God take care of it. Now to add icing to the cake here, so to speak, he showed Saul the piece of cloth that he cut, that piece of cloth. And David, through this, he basically made a very bold statement. I could have killed you. I could have killed you, but I didn't. I did not. 1 Samuel 24 and 16. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I. For you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dwelt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name 
from my father's house. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Okay, typically when a king replaces another king, it was a rivalry to prevent there from being any battles and wars for the throne. The new king would take out everybody of the previous king that he had conquered out of there. So it would wipe out the line so there were no challenges to the throne. Saul knows this, and that's why Saul begged for mercy that his his whole family line be spared. It's like, don't kill my line. Please don't take my line out. But look what it did to him. He wept. He admitted, yes, David, the kingdom is going to be yours. Guys, this is why. Why we do not disrespect people and we hold others with godly respect. You may not be able to respect the person according to your own standard. I understand that. I've worked with people and been around people that I lost respect for you, but wait a minute. I'm bound by a higher standard than my own. Because when you hold others with godly respect, it humbles them down. That is our ultimate... Christian, I'm talking to the believer here. That is our ultimate goal, is to see to it that other people find Jesus Christ and be saved. And you cannot find Jesus and be saved if you're proud. If you're brought down humble, you can. And look what it did to Saul. It brought him down. It humbled him down. And David didn't even have to do a thing to him. It humbled him. And so we need to do that even with our enemies. Do you realize that Jesus died for your enemies? Yes, they deserve it. Oh, he deserves it. And you're thinking of people, but they deserve it. But look what godly mercy does. It caused Saul to stop with the hostility. He stopped in his hostility. Now, this is a story that has something for all of us to learn. Proverbs 16, verse 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Friend, you have enemies that have never given you peace and you're worn out, tired. You want peace? Then your ways need to please the Lord. Well, they need to, they deserve it. They should go down. Well, okay, I understand that. But do like David and turn it over to God. Let the Lord deal with them. It does not say that when a man bows up and strikes his enemy down, that you'll have peace. It says when a man's, when a man's ways please the Lord. That's how you do that. If you want peace between you and your enemies, then you've got to start doing things God's way. If you have to bite your tongue to do it, it's always better to do things God's way. Romans 12, 17 says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. I know there's people that just push your buttons, man. I mean, they just get you. They get you going, and you want to wring their neck. (laughs) And they anger you, and they deserve it because they're a jerk, and they're not nice to me, and they started it. And we stack up this big list of reasons why they should go down and why we're justified as being the one to administer the, the execution of it, right? 
We do that. That's human nature. But it's not God's nature. That's where the conflict comes in. That's where the battle in you as a as a Christian happens is that you've got to do things the Lord's way. Your ways have to be pleasing to the Lord if you want peace, and I know you do. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. The Lord says, I repay it, and that's exactly what David did. He left room for God's wrath. Friends, let God deal with it. Let God take care of it. Trust me, he knows how to deal with it better than you do. He's much more efficient at it. He can change things that you never have and that you never will change. And guess what, guys? God commands us to do this. He didn't ask us to do it. He commands us to leave room. He says, it, the scripture does not say, can I make a suggestion? Maybe try out leaving room for God's wrath. Let's see if that works or not. That's not how it's worded. It is worded as a command that we have to do it. Christian, leave room for God's wrath. It works better than your way. But why should we do it? Well, they're going to get away with it. No, they're not. No, they're not. Why should we leave room for God's wrath? Simply because it says, because people are watching us. People are watching us. It says, be careful, friend. Be careful. Be very careful. Calm that temper down. I know you want to bust. I have a temper too. It's a discipline. That's the disciple is the root word of discipline. Have a discipline to be, put a cap on that temper. Close it off. Maintain your composure. Be careful, it says, to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Guys, I want you to realize what everyone told David. Everyone told David, get him. There's Saul. Now's your opportunity. Kill him. Slit his throat. Cut his head off. He's evil. He's wicked. Get him. But what did David do? He did what was right. As far as it depended on David, he wanted to have peace, some kind of way to have peace with Saul. And so instead of taking vengeance himself, he left room for God's wrath. Let God deal with it. I'm not doing it myself. That's what we need to get used to saying. Yes, you can do something about it. Yes, you can take vengeance yourself. But you know what? How much better it is if you just let God take care of it. Well, I don't want God to take care of it. That's why you're in the mess you're in. Our culture today teaches us through TV, movies, even songs. It teaches us that we should take vengeance on those who mess with us. You mess with me, I'm going to mess with you. You hit me, I'm going to knock you across the room. That kind of tough guy attitude that gets your gets your your blood boiling, well, I'll show you to mess with me. Uh, you, you ever notice the typical formula in a movie structure, the way they structure movies these days? Basically, they show how bad the villain is, how he has no remorse. He's wicked. He loves it. He enjoys it. He laughs about it. And the more we watch this villain, the more we hate him. Because the worse the villain is, then the more satisfied we are when the hero blows him up into a hundred pieces. Come on. You know movies are like that. You've seen Rambo or whoever. He takes that rocket launcher and he blows the guy up into a hundred pieces and all that's left is his boot on a rock somewhere. And you're like, yeah, get him. Guys, that's what David's men said. They're Saul. Get him. Be careful what to, to, to do what is right 
in the eyes of everyone, because people are watching. How are you going to show them that you're the Christian if you act like the world? Our human nature works in opposition to how the Lord teaches us in his word. That's why this teaching is so hard to swallow. That's why some of you are saying, nope, I don't buy it, Ray. I'm not going to go by that, because you want to go by your human nature, which has never worked for you yet. Make a suggestion, turn around, do things God's way. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes his enemies to be at peace with him. Saul deserved vengeance. I I have no dispute. I have no argument with that. Absolutely, he deserved it. Saul was a bad guy. I agree with that. But that gave David no right whatsoever to take vengeance out on Saul. It gave him no right to do that. And friends, when you lose all respect, I lost respect for you against somebody who wrongs you. That gives you no right to take out your vengeance upon them. It is godly wrong to do that. But why not? Why not, Ray? How come I want to get that son of a gun so bad I can taste it? Uh, I want you to understand that just like how David spared Saul's life, 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Long-suffering, guys. You know, I know you want to wring that guy's neck, whoever they are. You know what? And and to not do it is long-suffering because it pressures you up because they've done things that legitimately made you mad. They have done things that have legitimately upset you. I get it. I know. Saul did the same to David. We've seen all the damage he's been doing. But if God looked at us that way, if God thought the way we do, he'd take us all out. You'd be gone. You wouldn't be here right now. You would be condemned. Starting to get the picture now? I hope so. We have all sinned. We've all done wickedness. We deserve death. Guys, we deserve it. And I don't mean just dying naturally on this physically from the earth. I mean a spiritual condemnation, eternal death. We deserve it. We deserve that. We all broke God's law. It has provoked God's wrath. We angered him. But even though we deserve to die, God does not want anyone to perish. David didn't want Saul to perish. God doesn't want you to perish. And you and I both deserve it. God does not want you to perish. But that's why he does offer you a better way. This is why we turn things over to God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Friends, just like how David spared Saul, a man who deserved death, get him. God spared me, and God is sparing you. Those of you who are saved, he spared you because you have accepted Jesus for eternal life. Those of you who have not accepted Jesus Christ yet, God is sparing you still because he's waiting for you to finally get it and understand. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time 
unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.